Sammy and I'm Jude and this is the Past Imperfect podcast where we discuss the alchemy of transforming trauma and I'm very excited today because we are going to be discussing narcissism, what is MPD, what is narcissistic abuse and all things to do with cluster B personality disorders but before we do that how are you today Jude? I'm very well I just want to come in because obviously <laughs> people can't see you about the glowing smile on your face when you get to talk about narcissism. It's my it's, favourite subject in the whole world. It is your favourite subject and you're very knowledgeable about it. Um, yeah I'm fine I'm good I'm in the throes of moving house and I'm so I'm in the kind of joyful and also less joyful throes of packing and making decisions about what to keep and what to take and what to do with things and there's stuff everywhere so I'm in a nice peaceful empty clear space right at the moment which is lovely it's nice yeah I'm also in I'm 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 decorating a room which is not quite the same but I'm also surrounded by I was going to say stuff but it actually feels a bit more like crap I need, I really need to have a massive <laughs> sort out <laughs> but it's quite exciting I love a bit of a decorate got me yeah. masking tape got me paint and then my cat's just jumped up here as well to come and join in the conversation which is always nice little Brilliant. noodle cats yeah. possibly mm. the narcissist of the animal world <laughs> yes. maybe that's a bit harsh that doesn't go for noodle who's the cutest cat that's ever been oh she is she's like a little i don't know she's more like a little dog sometimes you can throw things around she'll pick them up and bring them back to you she's just she's so cute oh Bless there her. we go Bless sorry her. about the bang there that was noodle jumping off the table <laughs> Absolutely fine. We know real life, real life on a podcast. Now, we are about to dive into what is narcissism? How do you spot a narcissist and all such things? One thing I'd really like to say before we start is I need to make some kind of a comment on Black Lives Matter. Yeah, absolutely. Because although I want to say it goes without saying that we support Black Lives, Lives Matter, actually it doesn't go without saying. If we don't say it, then we're being silent and we're not saying anything. Yeah. My opinion is that there is a level of systemic trauma that people who aren't white anybody of color experiences in britain in america and possibly globally and that that repeated judgment and discrimination and microaggressions and genuine threat for survival happens all the time and creates ongoing trauma shapes the opinion of self it there's so much research there's so much information I don't think that as two white women we are the best people to have any kind of expert commentary on this um, I've got plans to talk to a couple of people um, about black trauma and about um, from an expert position yeah I'm, I'm really I'm really aware that I'm not that person but Me I too. would like Me to too. invite a couple of people on to have that discussion further down the line when we start having guests I think our first guest should be talking about that um, I've yeah. got a wish list of people that I'd like to invite which I'm going to get around to but in the meantime from my point of view and we've talked about it from yours yeah. of course we absolutely support Black Lives Matter and in the information about this podcast I'll put a couple of um, links to charities if you want to donate and support one is Inquest who supports families who have been have lost somebody because of the state and that's yeah. that's all inclusive and there's many charities support directly supporting black lives matter if you want to donate yeah thanks jude yeah it's um it's been a, a very um 
it's been a very distressing week. Um, my daughter's been very affected by this and um, it's, yeah, it's, 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 I've been doing a lot of listening and a lot of reading and uh, just trying to educate myself as best as I can. And yeah. um, I haven't commented on it too much because it's, it's so difficult as a person who hasn't experienced that to, to make any, I don't feel like I can make any valid comment at the moment. So yeah, yeah. thanks Jude for Thank you. And, and one thing I realised this morning is that I owe somebody a proper apology. I, I, I was in a, had an experience where somebody was targeted for her rudeness, but she wasn't rude. She was black and she was calling somebody on racism. And I stood up for her and I defended her, but I didn't walk out and leave that organisation until that was right for me. And I could have done that. And I could have... Actually, funnily enough, it was... Um, a narcissistic conversation that was happening it was a narcissist at the helm saying this person's being really rude she's blah 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 and I didn't wow. I didn't I didn't walk out I didn't stand up by saying I'm not going to be party to this I, I defended her but I didn't take the steps I just used the word so I know somebody that I need to apologize to whether or not she feels that she's willing to accept that apology wow Wow. It's interesting as well because I read um, H.G. Tudor, who is a um, diagnosed psychopath who has a website called Narcsite. And I follow him quite, <laughs> I follow him you know, quite attentively because obviously I'm my favourite subject in the world. And he sent out an article about, about this and he was um, saying that, um, that's Shavin, sorry, I've got it written down here because I wanted to make sure his name was right, but I can't see where I've written it down, that he actually is a narcissist and that what's what's happened here, of course, it's it's racism, but it is also narcissism. What he displayed was a lack of empathy, a lack of conscience, a sense of entitlement, all the things that are classic traits of narcissism. And so he, he was talking about it from that aspect wow. from that point of view so there's a very interesting article that you can i think you have to pay for this article but it's called america you are being conned and it was written by hg tudor and it's about this subject and it goes into you know the, the initial um, murder of george floyd but then it goes into the politics surrounding it and then this the whole movement that's going on at the moment and how that's affected by narcissism and um, it's a very interesting read mm. wow thank you we'll put that in the um yeah put that in the footer Mm. so sammy so. i get to ask you this question what is narcissism okay well this is a huge question and it's a very difficult one to answer because it's it's such a broad subject and it's such a broad spectrum of behaviors so the first thing that i want to say is that i am not an expert i'm very well researched on it and i'm fascinated by the subject so i've i've read lots of information from lots of different sources um so I will try my very best to explain it as I understand it, but I'm not a mental health professional and I'm not in a position to diagnose anybody or anything like that. But um, I think as an actor as well, I'm, I'm really deeply fascinated in what makes people tick, what drives people, what, what motivates them. And so once I had my eyes open to this stuff, I was like, wow, this stuff is everywhere. And it's actually the driving force behind all good stories. <laughs> You, know, you have to have a baddie um, and, and I'm, I'm saying baddie in inverted commas because I now have come to the understanding that I don't believe in good and bad anyway but anyway that we can get to that later on so what is narcissism and I suppose there's everybody has narcissism within them so 
narcissism is all on a spectrum of behaviors and in the middle uh, we, we all have narcissistic traits within us and in the middle of this spectrum there is healthy narcissism which is knowing that you as an individual have rights and uh, meaning and then also being able to validate and understand that other people also you can recognize that the the needs and beliefs and values of other people as well so you're in the middle you honor yourself but you can also honor other people and then so that's a sense of self and a sense yes. of boundaries kind of and you're yeah. i'm just rephrasing so that i really understand so yeah and it's you're calling it narcissism because it's this spec spectrum but another way of seeing it is a person who understands their place in the world as equal to other people yeah and valid it, absolutely so i mean it, the, the narcissistic spectrum is not just narcissism it's also empathy so you've got empathy on one side narcissism on the other and in the middle of that you've got a healthy balance of empathy and narcissism Brilliant. narcissism is your sense of self and empathy is the recognizing of other people and their their rights and their feelings and, and their rights to whatever. Okay, so that's healthy, that's right in the middle. Either side of that, you're swinging into other stuff. And if you go too far into narcissism and you lose any ability to have empathy, you're then going into what we call cluster B personality disorders. Um, and then if you go the other way, you're going up into sort of codependency and, you know, sort of having having overly empathetic traits which is also equally as unhealthy and what you find is that these two high high over overly high levels of empathy and overly high levels of narcissism are actually a match because they are fulfilling the opposite side of that of that um two sides of the same coin as it were yeah and just to um give a definition of codependency for me with the way i see it is overly empathetic and what that means in practice is that i take responsibility for your feelings i feel your feelings whether you're feeling them or not and mm -hmm. i take responsibility for them so that might be i take the responsibility for fixing them but i also it might be i take responsibility you're feeling this way so i feel bad you yeah. shouldn't be feeling bad so it's a really unhealthy way of being empathetic but you know it can be called a good thing because empathy traditionally is seen as a good thing yeah so it's yeah. also as you're saying massively unhealthy and unhelpful to the self yes so both sides are equally unhealthy i suppose where where sort of narcissism gets its bad name from is because once you're going into the cluster b personality disorders and those of you for and that <laughs> my i need to put my teeth in this morning for those of you who don't know what cluster b personality disorders is which i didn't until i discovered this is narcissistic personality disorder borderline personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, and psychopathy, which also has a proper name, which I don't know, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so these are the cluster B personality disorders, and these are characterized by a certain set of traits, and the further into the psychopathic side of it that you go, the more extreme and malignant these behaviors become. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, there's a really interesting way of looking at it. There's a woman called Christine Louis de Cannonville who talks about um, narcissism, narcissism, malignant narcissism and psychopathy. And she sort of describes them like a Russian doll. Oh. And she says that, um, I mean, not everybody prescribes to this way of, of looking at it, but I found it quite useful that, you know, you've got a sort of garden variety narcissist, which is somebody who displays lots of narcissistic traits, but isn't necessarily malignant or cruel. They don't really know what, what they don't really have a, an understanding of what they are. 
they just display a certain set of traits. But once you get into malignant narcissism, it's like an, another Russian doll put on top of that one. And that's where you add on extra traits and components. And these are to do with cruelty, manipulation and calculatedness. These start to have a bit more insight into what they are. And then on top of that, you've then got psychopathy, which is like the, the one right on top of that. And that's, um, and that contains all the elements of, of malignant narcissism, also known as sociopathy, and then inside that narcissism as well. So it's, it's a really fascinating, fascinating kind of... It's fascinating. Absolutely yeah. fascinating. So I read something this morning. Yeah. I listened to something this morning that says, and it's along similar lines, instead of seeing it as a Russian doll, this is Dr. Romani who was talking about this, saying that narcissism narcissists and sociopaths are made and psychopaths are born yeah. psychopaths have a neuroatypical formulation in their brain which means they actually don't have what it takes to have empathy and they don't have what's necessary i just want to comment that that noodle who is a cat is now sitting on sammy's keyboard <laughs> she sure is <laughs> she sure is while we do this call thank you you little feline narcissist you <laughs> um yeah so and so psychopaths are born and they have all the extra traits because they actually don't have the capacity to be otherwise they don't have the brain makeup um whereas sociopaths and narcissists do and they have learned through possibly traumatic experiences or through modeling behavior in their lives um, that empathy and kindness and all of these things are not valuable and so they've deeply learned them but it might get to a point where they can't relearn them mm -hmm. yeah and, and it's and it's so fascinating because there's so many different ways that you can look at this and there's different um you know I, i've learned a lot from from different people so christine louis de cannonville um is a psychotherapist who works with psychotherapists and she is somebody who had a brother who was a psychopath and then in her adult life had four relationships with narcissists sociopaths and and, and it got to the point where she was like I am the common denominator in this experience. She didn't realize really that her brother was a psychopath, but she started doing research because she was like, I am repeating this pattern of picking these same types of people for partners. Why am I doing that? And, and I'm the common denominator. So what is it within me that is, you know, generating this repeat experience and she has a, an absolutely incredible wealth of knowledge about this and she's written she's written two books she might have written more actually but the two that i'm aware of are the three faces of evil where she talks about the dark triad and also when shame begets shame and um what her mission in life is is she educates mental health professionals about narcissistic personality disorder and narcissistic abuse because many mental health professionals even though they might have studied it as a subject academically they don't understand it because it really is a phenomena that is beyond being in my opinion a mental health condition it's actually almost it's, it's a personality phenomena and it's also an energetic phenomena so there's other ways of looking at it that might explain that a bit a bit more so what's it like then how would i how would i know if i was in the company of a narcissist and why is it a problem well, you won't know it necessarily to start off with, um, but what will happen is over time, especially if you're in an intimate relationship with somebody, that the, the signs will start to show. Um, there is 
there's a couple of maybe analogies which I can I, I can sort of describe from sort of mythology, um, which might explain a little bit more about the sort of the fact that you're dealing with a constructed false egoic persona. So, so there's a set of traits that go with narcissism, but what essentially they are doing is you you are dealing with a, a false personality. So somebody is presenting a character almost to the world which isn't truly who they are and this is where it gets really really interesting and quite in my opinion a little bit supernatural it isn't supernatural but there's different ways of looking at it so christine lewis cannaville from a western psychological point of view would say that this false egoic personality has been constructed through a disassociation in childhood through dealing with trauma and that they've essentially created a new personality that protects the the uh, uh, the true personality and then a more shamanic way of looking at this, which she also talks about, is that um, this is um, someone who has killed off their true personality and essentially sold their soul to an entity. And the entity is coming now to channel and live through the person. So that's a more shamanic way of looking at it. Wow. So and you're dealing with a mask. A you're dealing with a mask. And, and that's something that many people who have trauma do. Mm -hmm. I speak as one of them. But that does that make me a narcissist? So, no, because because if you are a narcissist, you've actually completely lost connection with your true self, and you will do anything at all costs to avoid that true self. And right. this is where the manipulative behaviour comes in. Because okay, so let's look at the myth of narcissist, which is the the Greek myth of narcissist and echo. Narcissus, um, people think, oh, Narcissus, Narcissus was in love with himself, and he fell in love with himself. Actually, what he did was he was cursed to fall in love with his reflection. It wasn't yes. himself, it was his reflection. Yes. So the reflection only exists when it's being looked at and when it's being noticed. Oh. Okay, it's not there if you're not looking at it. Okay, so this, this constructed, projected reflection is not real. It's just an illusion. And so this is where we bring in the concept of narcissistic supply. You, you're looking at a, a, a projected persona of somebody, and if that is not being given significance and validation from the outside, then it ceases to exist, and the narcissist or the person is left with their true self, which they're trying to avoid at all costs because it's so deeply traumatic for them to be with their true self. Yeah. So that's one way of, of kind of describing it. Another way is thinking of, of, of the myth of the vampire. So the vampire is... Um, is an energy which can only feed off the, is, it doesn't have its own energy, it has to feed off the life force of others. And so again, this is that thing of, you know, the concept of narcissistic supply, which is what is feeding this false egoic persona. And a narcissist will present itself and then it will, you know, obviously in the concept of, of romantic relationships, will seduce you, will hook you in, will, um, and then will start to feed off your life force and energy. So it is beyond, for me, it's beyond a mental health condition. It's actually an energetic phenomenon because people with this personality disorder actually need to feed off the energy and significance that is given to them from the outside. Wow. Wow. Um... <laughs> it's quite a lot to wrap your head around. Yeah. And it's bizarre because if you haven't experienced it, you cannot understand what that feels like to have been on the receiving end of that kind of transaction. But we all have experiences where, you know, we're hanging out with someone and at the end of that interaction, even as a friend, we feel drained. Yeah. We feel exhausted. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just taking a moment to, to um, remember some experiences. I remember in Australia, I was seeing a guy. Yeah who was 
outwardly, you know, honestly telling me that he was hypnotizing me. Yeah. Like not pretending, not metaphorically. He was just only barely, you know, he would mention it and then pretend that he hadn't said it. And I would be walking to his house to see him and having this dialogue saying, I don't feel, I don't want to do this. I don't like this person. I'm, what am I doing? And my feet would be taking me to his house. And then, oh my God, it was horrible. And then I would come away and we'd, you know, I was supposed, supposed to be his girlfriend and I didn't want to be his girlfriend. So I would then come away feeling dirty and horrible and, and then I would do it again. Oh, I know. Because and there's a... His, his mission in life was to create a cult and be its leader. Well, again, explicitly, verbally, he would say this. We were, you know, we were going to observe churches um, where, where this is the way, you know, with, there's a whole load of hypnotic stuff that goes on. And he was saying, well, I'm doing this because I want to have my own cult. This is what I want. Wow. So, and there I was not, not knowing that this. So here's a question that's popped up after that. What, how is it useful to see somebody as a vampire or as a, how is that useful for you? If you're in relation with a, with an artist, how is it useful to see them as a, a vampire or as somebody with a condition? How does that help? Well, I guess it helps because as time goes on, if you are involved in, in a relationship with somebody like this or even a friendship or even if it's somebody in your family, um, you are going to, there is inevitable harm that will come to you. Sandra Brown wrote a book called, um, what was her book? Women Who Love Psychopaths and Relationships of Inevitable Harm. And she's like, you know, if you end up in a relationship with, you, you, you will be harmed and it's inevitable. And that's because people with this person, people with these personality disorders, they literally have to manipulate in order to get narcissistic supply from you. And that supply can be positive supply as in positive attention. But actually, eventually, if you criticize this, this ego, you will, they will suffer a narcissistic injury and therefore you will then have to be re-brought under control to, to solve that injury in the narcissist. And that's when the malevolent and the malignant behavior starts to happen. And that's when you end up in abusive situations. And the abuse can come in so many different ways in so many different forms. And we can talk about that a bit more um, in a little while, but it's, it's really important to know that this phenomena exists. I had no idea that it exists, but actually, Again, it, it's everywhere. It's even in Frozen. Have you seen the movie Frozen? I have seen the movie Frozen. Okay, so you know how in Frozen, um, Princess Anna falls in love with Prince Hans and they kind of do this stupid falling in love thing straight away and they sing that song and then she goes off to find her sister and when she comes back, he's like a different person and he's like, I didn't really love you. I just want to get your kingdom. And then he tries to murder her. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, there you go. <laughs> that is it. Love bomb, idealize, devalue, and discard when you're no longer useful. But this, he was playing a character. He was pretending to be something that he wasn't in order to hook her in. That is the whole narcissistic dynamic in an intimate relationship right there in Frozen. And, and so my question then is, do they know they're doing it? In some cases, yes. In a lot of cases, no. So <laughs> this is a really interesting question. I, I, when I first came across this, I was convinced that all narcissists know what they are. They know exactly what they're doing, but actually most of them don't. You have to be an extremely high functioning self-aware narcissist. I think you're probably going more into sociopathy um, 
you know malignant narcissism for the this is where they start to have an, a deep understanding of what they are and they operate in machiavellian ways where they calculate exactly how to get the supply like your friend that you were just talking me talking about now i want a cult i want to gather a group of people around me who are going to worship me or give me their attention and all of their energy you find so many um altruistic narcissists in spiritual communities or in any positions of power going back to the george floyd murder you know this is someone who wants power and control over other people and with that power and control comes all the supply and all the um, attention and significance that they so desperately crave in order for them to feel okay about themselves it's a medication narcissistic supply is a drug so a narcissist whether they know they are or not is addicted to a drug and and so just like with a heroin addiction whatever you believe and think and feel ultimately making sure that you've got your fix comes first above everything else above everything else until something shifts so can that can the shift that might happen for a heroin addict happen for a narcissist my understanding now is no I used to believe that everybody could be fixed and healed. And this was a very deep, deep belief that I had. And actually people with that belief are in some cases targeted by narcissists because they can use that, that, um, that belief against you. You know, like when you start to question their behavior and start to maybe even say to them, I think you might be a narcissist. They will say, Oh, okay, I will go away and I will get therapy and I will fix myself and I will heal myself. They've got no intention of doing that, but they will tell you that because that's what you want to hear. And you have that deep belief that that is possible. But actually what you were saying earlier about having the capacity to feel certain emotions, the brain wiring is no longer there. And they actually seriously do not have the capacity to feel empathy and feel remorse. Obviously, depending on how far into the spectrum you are, there probably are some narcissists at the bottom that potentially could have that. But in order to rewire your brain, you have to put in a hell of a lot of effort and energy. And people with narcissistic personality disorder believe themselves to be superior. So they're not gonna, they believe having these emotional traits deserve you. They actually make you a weaker human being and not capable right. of the, so they're not going to want to do that because it actually makes them less than it makes them the same as everyone else. They don't want to be the same as everyone else. They like to be different. They want to be special. Wow. So the sense of entitlement and the sense of being superior is too much to give up. Really. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Why would they give that up? Cause in their opinion, that serves them. <laughs> so how do i know you said you said i wouldn't know at the beginning so let's go back to that if i i wouldn't know at the beginning that i was with a narcissist no. but at some point it will start to show itself so how does that start to happen well i mean what what do you think of that because you've obviously come across a num fair number of people with this stuff going on what how what's made it what's brought it into your awareness so interestingly i haven't been in any long-term relationships because I've cut and run too quickly or I've cut and run quickly with everybody that I've been involved with. The, the last person that I was involved with, um, who I would say had very strong narcissistic traits and actually I, I was, was mass. So the beginning met this person, instant connection, just kind of, wow, I've never met anybody like this very deep conversations very quickly, which I now understand was giving him all the information that he needed to meet me 
where I wanted to be met. Um, immediately offered up my beloved project. I was writing a book about the body. This person was aware of that and aware of that field. And mm -hmm. immediately after the first meeting, I'd be like, well, let's do it together. You're the person I've been waiting for. Let's my baby here. Have my baby, basically. Mm -hmm. I didn't have my have my beloved project, and it's now yours. And you might be off doing it now. I don't know. But what I realised, so love bomb, love bomb. Conversation, you know, wanting to spend time with me all the time, always available. So I'm really, really busy, but let's just meet. Let's make some time. So we would make time, and we'd meet. And I was about to go away for a few weeks, and just before I went away. Obviously, I was about to disappear, so that supply might not be there. He sat me down and said, I don't know if you feel the same, but this feels like something amazing to me. This feels like really strong, really important. You're a person I've been waiting for. You know, I don't want to dive into a relationship with somebody because I'm still really tender from my last relationship. I really want to. I was blown away and dreams come true. <laughs> Nothing happened. We didn't do some, more than we, we had a hug. That was the, the extent of our physical contact. Then I went away and I was literally bombed with half hour voice messages, you know, like, and, and then it started to be, even while I was away, these amazing voice messages and they were all seemingly about me, but actually more about him and how he was feeling. And then we would get to, well, you haven't answered. You haven't answered. Where are you? And I'd be like, I'm, doing what I said I'd do I mean you know and then I started to say actually do you know what and then I would leave a message and not hear back for a day and a half and I'd be like hang on this doesn't starting to feel imbalanced because if I don't answer in 20 minutes I get more text saying where are you what what are you doing and if I send something I don't get a message for a day and a half and I say oh how are you doing you haven't been in touch I get well I'm kind of real defensive and then when I when I came back, it had completely shifted. Never had time for me. Always said, oh, I really, really, really want to see you. I can't wait to see you. No time. But I've got to do this first. I really, really, really want to see you, but I've promised somebody that I hardly know that I might go for a walk from them if they fancy it later, but I haven't heard back. So I might just, I'm just going to wait and see if that, that person that I don't even like um, gets back to me. And then he wouldn't get back to me. And I'd be there going, hang on, all of this, I'm moving around. All oh, this feels really wrong, but I'm still kind of in. And then it would be when I did see him, you're getting this all wrong. You know, I said, we only wanted to be friends and you're really misunderstanding this. And then finally, I even said to him, do you know what I've noticed is when I see you, I come away feeling worse than before I saw you. It's a really good sign. <gasps> yeah. And then in the end, I'd like to say that I, dropped it and walked away but I didn't I was away and he was pushing me to come back I really want to see you what are you doing you're away come on come on pushing me to come back as soon as I came back even though I live very close to him I haven't seen him that was last August I haven't seen him since yeah. as soon as I was back in here in where I live I haven't seen him so there was my little non luckily non-physical because when things get physical Oh my God. Oh, a, is, yeah, because once you add sex into the, once you add sex into the mix, it can get really bloody confusing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, did you real? I mean, did you realize though, when you were with this, as, as time has gone on with this person that you might be dealing with a, a narcissistic personality or did it just feel weird? I wasn't as aware of that as a 
as a as a thing but yes i yeah no i was already aware of that as a thing that's not true but i really didn't want to see that but yeah i became aware i didn't you know when i said the words to him i've noticed that when i feel when i see you i feel worse than after than when i don't that kind of was should have been a massive alarm bell but i didn't quite notice but as yeah. soon as i was beginning to move away from it I saw that. And then I checked in with a friend who said, oh, yeah, I, I saw you go into that. And I could have told you all sorts of things, but I thought it was better that you make your own discovery. But then she listed off people yeah. that had had exactly the same experience. It's interesting. And wouldn't talk about it because it was so traumatic for them. But yeah. just said, I don't I don't want anything to do with that person. And it's a, it's a pattern. And, and she'd experienced it, too, with that person. Complete love bombing. And then... And noticing that actually all of this was serving his needs, not hers. But what was really interesting is that even now, there are moments where I think, oh, I could just drop him a line. I could just see how he's doing. <sighs> and and, and it, he dominated my thoughts for quite a long time after that. Mm. Well, that even, is a real sign of it. Yeah, even when I did know, there was still part of me that was desperate for him to be for it to have been true because it was so glorious when I thought it was true yeah and that's the thing with it because the initial well hd tudor calls it the golden period other people call it love bombing and it's the the narcissistic cycle of abuse and it's actually the the cycle of abuse generally it's you know an idealization love bombing and then devaluation and then discard and the process of devaluation discard is deeply traumatic, especially because you've, you've bought into this illusion. You've bought into this golden period of like, and it quite often is one of the best experiences you'll ever have. Uh, you know, when I met the guy who, who I, you know, would say was the main narcissistic experience I've had in my life, like the, the, the beginnings of that relationship were just like nothing I'd ever experienced in my life. It was incredible. And I wouldn't have missed it for the world, but now I realize it was, it was, you know, it was an illusion. It wasn't real. And, you know, when you're dealing with a high functioning sociopaths and, and getting into that more malignant stuff, the, the ones that do know what they're doing, they know exactly how to target you. They know exactly how to get information from you and fulfill every aspect of yourself that you are longing for. So they appear to be like the, 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 the savior and the, the, um, the, the healer of all your wounds and the, your savior, your knight in shining armor, prince charming, all that stuff. That's where all this comes from. But actually, this is, and this is where it's useful for you. This is where they're actually doing you a favor because when they take that stuff away and start to withdraw that stuff and use your wounds to punish you, that's where they are helping you to make your unconscious wounds conscious. Because half the time you're not even aware that you've got abandonment trauma. You're not even aware that you're a pleaser and that you're trying to fix other people and that you get all your validity through, through, you know, um, getting other people to love you. You're not even aware of that stuff and that's where it becomes useful for you. But like, we need to be completely honest and aware that this stuff is targeted in people and you know ultimately it does serve you but in some cases if people aren't aware of this stuff you can stay in these relationships far longer than is healthy for you and you know and some people end up dead let's you know let's be honest about that it can it can lead to serious serious abuse and it's very it is it's uh, i wish as a young woman i'd known more about this stuff well the other thing what you do learn as a young woman through disney let's let's blame, <laughs> yeah. let's blame disney shall we through hollywood through disney through many stories and many um films is that that's actually a positive trait and that true love does feel like that 
it's instantaneous you know like if you feel instantaneous love and connection to, towards somebody you can pretty much guarantee that that is deeply unhealthy <laughs> and that that is like a, a toxic attachment or you know it's like a, a, a something in you which is it's not healthy you know you need yeah. to take your time to get to know people but even you know this stuff is so confusing because even you know you can know someone for years i had the realization when i started to figure this stuff out that actually one of my closest male friends was very possibly um a narcissist and I've, I've been friends with this person for years and years and years and even though there were things about them that troubled me at times um behavior that they did which i felt deeply uncomfortable about the rest of them was so amazing and entertaining and funny that i didn't i excused it in them and like well we've all got our shit you know but actually now i'm pretty sure that person is is is, is uh, has got this stuff going on and try to detach as quietly as i can i, I don't have anything against them because i know that people with this stuff they can't help it it's 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 bedded in trauma itself which is what we're talking about and and the trauma manifests in different ways it either makes you narcissistic or it can make you the other side of that coin and ultimately you know both sides are mirroring to each other yeah but on the inside you're completely empty <laughs> and on the outside you need to get you need to get all your significance and energy from the outside yeah that's amazing that's yeah because that's what's coming up to me when you were talking about that was if I believe that anybody else can make me whole, and I know this is a self-help mantra of the world, but it is true. If I believe somebody else is necessary to have somebody else there to make what feels bad inside me feel better, it's the same behavior. It, it, and it, it, whether rightly or wrongly, it just can't be true. Yeah. Nobody else can do that. And it, it leads to an under, unhealthy and painful way of relating with people. If I expect anybody if i expect you to make me feel better about myself sammy then yeah then that's needing your energy in order to make my energy complete. yeah and when i realized this stuff i realized how how narcissistically i behaved throughout a lot of my life especially when i was steeped in addiction because you know when you're an addict you will lie you will lie about where you've been half the time you won't even know where you've been so you have to make stuff up you will cover your tracks and you will cover your behavior and and oh yeah i mean i behaved in highly narcissistic ways when i was younger and i didn't realize it but actually high codependency behaviors are similar you can you're manipulating people to get their love and attention whether it's conscious or not you know i'm being everything i think you want me to be in order for you to like me Okay, well, actually, that's really manipulative. If you get yeah. down to the bare bones of it, it's as manipulative. It's not consciously manipulative in the way that a, a high-functioning narcissist is, but it's still bloody manipulative, and we can't point our finger at other people's deep unconsciousness if we're not prepared to look at our own. That's a line from Melanie Tonya Evans. I just want to credit her with that knowledge. But, yeah, yeah. and that's where this deep, dark lessons come in. <laughs> so, all right, then. We've got an idea of what they are yeah. and how we would know if we were in an intimate of some, a relationship with them of some kind mm -hmm. what what am i what can i do about it if i start to notice these things well it's bloody confusing i mean it's very confusing i think the first thing you have to do is certainly first of all is be aware of this stuff but if you if you absolutely know point blank i'm in a relationship with a narcissist the best thing to do is cut your losses get out and run obviously that's easier said than done depending on what your connection is with that person if you have children with that person if you're married to that person if you have business or property you have to you know disentangle yourself very carefully and narcissists will completely enmesh in your life in order to make that 
very difficult for you because they're constantly trying to hook in new sources of supply. Um, and so you have to be extremely careful how you do it as well, because if, when you're dealing with malignancy and malevolency, people will, be, and they don't have a conscience or empathy, people with this stuff will go to extreme lengths to punish you and to hurt you and to, in some cases, destroy you. So you have to be extremely careful how you do that. But the, 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 the advice is always go no contact as safely as you can. Don't let them know that you're going to do that. Um, depending on how far on you are in your relationship, but you know, disengage and then do the work on yourself to heal the trauma that has been triggered through that experience. And, and when you leave, that's when it really comes up. There's something called aftershock and the aftershock is awful. I mean, I, when I went into aftershock after leaving the narcissist that I was involved with, I literally, my hair was falling out. I could not sleep. I could not work. I had brain. So the symptoms of narcissistic abuse are probably more telling than actually the, the traits of it because you, you feel it rather than see it. You're so confused anyway because you've been gaslighted maybe or your perception of reality has been twisted and turned and you yeah. doubt your own instincts and judgments about it anyway. But if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling confused, if you have um, physical symptoms like, you know, adrenal fatigue, self-destructive behaviors, I mean, there's all kinds of ways it can manifest in you. Constant obsessive thinking about this person, um, almost exercise them out of your energetic being. And there's different ways you can do that, but yeah, wow. that's what you have to do. It's full on. <sighs> and it is full on. It really, really is full on. And how do you know when you're done? Well, I don't think we're ever really done with the work of clearing up our own traumas and dysfunctional patterns. Obviously, you come as you get rid of a layer of stuff, you know, a bit later on, a bit more might come up. I don't think we're ever completely done. But I know for myself that after I did the work, I rarely think about the, the narcissist that I was involved with. In terms of him person, I think about narcissistic personality disorder, but I don't think about him and what he's doing. I, don't, I don't really don't care. I'm indifferent. Yeah. I'm completely indifferent to him. And I've been like that for quite a long time. And I, I'm actually just compassionate towards him. I feel sorry for him. <laughs> I'm grateful yeah. to him, actually. So... I don't have any of those traumatic feelings about him anymore. And one of the things I notice when I talk to you, which I think is really useful is, is on the back of what you've just said, you don't put your traumas down to him anymore. You, you did experience narcissistic abuse and you did experience all of that. And that was him doing stuff that would make you have a certain experience and gaslighting, you know, putting the blame on you and making you believe that that was true. But when I talk to you now, you don't blame, you, you, you say that, that this, you know, I had traumas which were responsive to him and he made them, made me aware of them. Mm. And so it's useful. So even if you're in a narcissistic relationship at the moment, mm -hmm. two things. One, you've got traumas that they're showing you. Two, that doesn't mean you have to stay with them. It actually <laughs> of means not. the opposite. <laughs> Yes. You need to be away from the trigger and from the, from the stimulus because ultimately a narcissist will, you, you're like, um, I'm, maybe because you said about vampires, you're like a blood bag. Once it's used up and it's empty, you need another one. Oh yeah. So you're only useful as long as you can give them what they need. Yeah. And, and when you're, when, when you're not able to do that anymore, you will be discarded. You will be got rid of. 
Yeah. And, and actually your traumas might stay, it might re, you might re, keep refilling your blood bag because there's a, there's a, there's a kind of codependency in it. You, I will stimulate your traumas and feed off them and they will stay alive and, and you, you'll get your significance from being in that relationship too. Yeah. To some extent. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you get, and you get addicted to the peptides and the chemical reactions that your body is also producing, which is um, also really, really addictive. They will quite often target people that have addictive personalities. Again, I'm not even sure what I think about the term addictive personalities, but you know, people that have problems with addictions and substances are often targeted, which is why this relates into alcohol abuse and, and, and substance abuse as well, because the, 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 the overlying condition, which is narcissistic abuse, substance abuse, is a symptom of the deeper underlying traumas that are existing within all of us. And, and doing a little dance now because that's why we're doing this podcast that's why we're doing it and that's why these things are connected and, yeah. and and it was through my experience of narcissistic abuse that I recognized that stuff about my my other addictions and that I'd replaced because I, I was actually sober when I got into this relationship and I'd replaced one addiction with another one and it was good that the alcohol was out of the way because it helped me to truly see what was going on within this narcissistic dynamic but again looking back over my life I can see that actually I played that dynamic out a number of times before in friendships and relationships and and you know seen it in my family and, and then gone ah so yeah yeah and it is bloody confusing. It is bloody confusing. And I just want to mention the family thing as well. So mm. mainly from talking to you and from talking to my younger sibling who considers my father to have been a sociopath. And they had more information than me about what that is. And they had a relationship for 20 years with a narcissist. But it's through talking to you and talking to them that I see that my father, whether or not a sociopath, had very strong narcissistic traits and so mm. as a child what you do with that is you internalize it of course you have no way of knowing that what you're told isn't you don't have the capacity to reason in the same way you have no way of knowing that, that that's what's happening so a lot of your fundamental core beliefs about yourself are based on a narcissist's opinion of you yeah and a narcissist manipulation of you mm. ultimately um another key trait of narcissism is pathological lying and so you know you literally have no idea what's true and what's real as a little child from the ages of naught to seven you absorb everything as truth and you don't have the capacity to question it you just accept it all as the truth of, of that is who you are and so if you're being raised by a narcissistic parent then you know gosh what, what chance have you got you you you're set you're set up for dysfunction right from from naught and you know you've also mentioned that your dad was a prolific paedophile and you know, there's all, all the children i mean that is so malignant not malignantly narcissistic you know there's 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 it's a calculated plan of how to get access to it, it's it's and I, and I personally would say, I'm no expert on this, but I believe all paedophilia is narcissistic because there is a lack of empathy. There's a sense of entitlement. There's a need for power and control and domination over a, a more vulnerable being. You know, it's, it's steeped in that stuff. Yeah. I don't yeah, know how I would feel agree about that, but that's my personal view on it. It's, it's definitely a, a view that needs exploring. I, I think I probably agree with it. Um, and I think one of the most 
painful understandings for me was to look back over my childhood and over the experiences and find out that I was being I wasn't I was being manipulated all the way through and I was groomed from very very young and the excuses and the the reasoning given when challenged was all aimed to make it my problem and my fault yeah and because a narcissist could not take any accountability for their own actions no. it's always everything on the outside sorry i was i interrupted you well i mean in some ways i i never would expect you to have said this was delightful but in some ways one of the most de delightful things that i heard was in the trial that was brought against my father for crimes in childhood my childhood his defense was you can't believe anything she says she's an alcoholic <laughs> and she was always a little liar and i remember being told oh. repeatedly she's a, you're a little liar and I've, i actually found a letter from him recently where it was again underlined you were always a little liar so wow constantly constantly being told that i lie and my my perception of reality and what i do and so actually him saying that publicly first of all really fit with what i think you know addictions often stem, stem from trauma and actually other things that i won't go into in this moment but other things that he said in his defense absolutely self-serving and not true but very calculated about if i say this if i say this then i'll I'll be. I'll get a rap on the knuckles, but I won't be put sent to prison. Yeah. And if I can discredit and her enough, which is part of our whole justice system, is about. It, it plays into that dynamic completely. But that's another podcast. That's another podcast. But the things that you're just talking about, you know, creating smear campaigns, um, discrediting people's reputations. These are narcissistic manipulations that happen frequently. Um, but also the, the narcissistic projection, you know, him calling you a liar. He's projecting his own behavior onto you. And that's a really big sign of, of narcissistic abuse. And you quite often find when you're in a narcissistic entanglement that you will be accused of things that you have no, you know, that you've never done. And actually the narcissist is telling you what they're doing you're having an affair, you're having an affair, you know, it's actually they're having an affair. It's called narcissistic projection. And, um, you know, you're a liar. Well, no, they're, they're the liar and they're, they're projecting their unowned parts that they can't deal with within themselves onto you because they can't deal with their own shame and their own true self, which is all of, all of those things. Wow. So I know what I notice is that's already bringing stuff up in me, which isn't something I want to talk about right now, but what that brings up for me is if I'm listening to this podcast and I find that a lot has been stirred up by this. Yeah. Where's a good place to find support? Um, you know, what, what can I do? What can I do to, to, um, to give myself some, some calming or some, some resources. I mean, that's an out of the blue question, but I just wonder well, I guess it depends which which aspect of it is triggering you. I can't yeah. really speak about the you know child sex abuse mm -hmm. side of it because I, I I haven't experienced that and I wouldn't know where necessarily to go for resources for that. And maybe you can you can share some of that. But for me, you know, like it's Melanie Tony Evans. I know I bang on about her all the time, but for me, that's where I got relief because she is the person who deals directly with the trauma and takes the attention off the narcissist and brings it back to you. And what is it within me that I can shift 
to get rid of these feelings. Um, there's also really other good people like Lisa A. Romano, um, who is has lots of online presence and she does a 12 week codependency recovery course. Another woman called Kim Saeed, who um, does all stuff around narcissistic abuse. You can research narcissism until you're blue in the face, but actually the most important thing to do is do that about 10% and bring the rest of it back to yeah. researching how you can heal yourself. Yeah, I think that's really important as well because you could go on um, forum after forum where all we're doing is slagging off narcissists and, and creating a real strong victim belief in ourselves. Mm. And this is where last week's episode about personal responsibility for your own healing comes in. It's fine. You can feel like a victim for as long as you like, but while you still do, the healing is much harder to access and you've got you've got to start taking responsibility not for your traumas but for your own healing yeah and that doesn't mean you have to do it on your own it has to be you know support is a, is a fabulous thing so i'm thinking that in the footer for you know in the in the blurb about this week's episode as well as some resources i'm going to put numbers like the samaritans if you just need to talk to somebody and um a number of other resources that you can that you can use but i really hear i'm just about to embark on melanie tonya evans course and i will be giving feedback about that on the way along the way in this podcast anything else to add sammy before we finish this week um i don't think so i think we've covered a lot today i need to go and i think i need to go and process some of it it's raised stuff in me as well um Mm. But it's just that thing of, yeah, always have to bring it back to myself whenever, whenever anything comes up. I mean, I've got stuff coming up at the moment, which I don't feel I can really share about, you know, where I'm feeling confused about certain situations and going, okay, at the end of the day, while I'm focusing on what's happening outside, I'm not really solving anything. I need to come inside and see what's really going on in me that's raising these feelings of confusion and anxiety. Because that's the only place where I have any power yeah. to, to affect any change. So yeah. that's, that's all I got to say for now really and and i would just add to that and while you deal with yourself and your pain imagine you were dealing with a traumatized traumatized child which is in fact what's happening or with a traumatized animal how much gentleness and tenderness would you give to that creature or that that little person yeah while dealing with yourself and that means you wouldn't expect a small child to look after themselves completely you you would want to get some safe support not from the narcissist just a little (laughs) there don't go to them (laughs) or if you do know that it's probably going to cause a bit more entanglement to come yeah and the other thing just to add quickly is while we're talking about going to the narcissist and and sharing your pain with them it's not a good idea to ever tell anybody that you think that they are a narcissist or a sociopath (laughs) it's really not advisable to do that i did do that um and yeah we can talk about more about that in another episode but yeah it's not advisable because firstly we're not in a position to diagnose anybody with this stuff but also it can be really used against you so just don't don't do it it's not safe to yeah on that note wishing you all safety in the world and healing from your joy lots and lots of love the hill I see the fire burning as in my dream now real as we are turning so what of love the moon and stars are asking while as the fire burns bright the night is passing yeah.
stars dawn in, I watch them swaying. And though my heart cries, all the birds are laughing. Calling in the sunrise, they are celebrating. Once on the horizon. 